The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, all you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. So today we are going to do Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 7, Mudbloods and Murmurs. Harry starts this chapter by avoiding Gilroy Lockhart and Colin Creevy. They both are annoying in their own ways. And I'm sure everyone out there has someone that annoys them a little bit. Do you know any skillful ways to deal with annoying people? Or should someone just be honest and address the party head on or face to face? I think the most skillful thing that we can do is actually to be straightforward and honest in terms of letting the person know look, these specific actions, such as you following me around or showing up in certain places, makes me uncomfortable. And can you please avoid doing so in the future? Or if you would like to talk to me, can we please set up a time to meet, for example? If these types of unwanted attention and potential harassment continue, then there might need to be other parameters set in place. For example, Harry's a student at Hogwarts, and if he's being harassed by another student or by a teacher, then it would be helpful for him to talk to a teacher, to someone like Dumbledore, for example, to help him resolve this issue. You were just saying that when some people might show up where they're not wanted and everything, and the reality is Colin Creevy is kind of a stalker. He memorized Harry's schedule and harasses him at any chance he can get. Hi, Harry! I'm Colin Creevy. I'm in Gryffindor, too. Hi, Colin. Nice to meet you. Say, do you think your friend here could take a photo of me and you standing together? You know, to prove I've met you. It's from my dad. He's a milkman, you know, a muggle, like all our family's been until me. No one knew all the old stuff I could do was magic till we got our letter from Hogwarts. Everyone just thought I was mental. Imagine that. Calling out the way. 
are no boundaries here. <laughs> how important is it to define boundaries and do you have any advice on how to establish them? I think that especially when we feel uncomfortable, when we feel like our boundaries are being infringed upon and violated, it is very important to set a boundary. I think many people worry about offending someone else so they might be very passive with their boundary like harry is at some of the times with colin in terms of pretending like he's okay with this kind of attention even though he's not and then at other times we might become aggressive like when harry snaps at colin wow can you turn it around harry no calling it out the way and neither of these types of communication passive or aggressive is likely to get us what we want when we are passive the uh, other individual might fail to understand what we're trying to say and might assume that we are perfectly fine with this expression of affection or attention. And if we're aggressive, then it might be unfair at times or it might really harm our, a specific relationship. And really the best type of communication is assertive one. Assertive communication allows the individual to be very clear in asserting their needs and also allows them to be respectful toward the other person and allows them to basically ask for respect themselves. So assertive communication skills require clarity and an explanation of what's going on in a given situation and making a specific request. That third step is one that a lot of people forget. So in Harry's case, it might look like this. It might be Harry telling Colin, hey, look, over the past week, you've showed up at three of my classes, even though you're not in them. The first step is defining the actual situation that makes someone uncomfortable. Then step two would be stating how it makes us feel. So for example, it would be Harry saying, look, this kind of behavior makes me feel uncomfortable. And then step three, most important step is making a request. So for example, Harry might say, hey, look, how about we just hang out on Friday after classes and we can talk but aside from that i'm going to ask that you please don't meet me or show up in my classes unannounced i'm just wondering where something like yo boundaries dude where that would fit in that actually is a great example of a passive aggressive remark right because passive aggressive remark is one that includes sarcasm and it can actually be very damaging to the person receiving this message. Someone like Colin, who appears anyway to be fairly innocent, but just doesn't understand that he's doing something wrong, for someone like him to receive a passive-aggressive remark can actually be very, very damaging. It does not necessarily land the kind of point that we're trying to land. It doesn't allow the person to understand what our needs are, and it can just create unnecessary hostility. And so instead, it really is more helpful to practice honest, clear, assertive communication by letting the person know how we feel about a specific action that they've taken and then asking them to do a specific thing differently and giving them some guidance and feedback on how these particular actions affect us. So there is a new seeker on the Slytherin Quidditch team. Draco Malfoy. I, Professor Severus Snape, do hereby give the Slytherin team permission to practice today, owing to the need to train their new seeker. You've got a new seeker. Who? Malfoy? That's right. It would appear that he got on the team because his father bought the whole team new brooms. And that's not all that's new this year. 
Those are Nimbus 2001s. How did you get those? A gift from Draco's father. You see, Weasley, unlike some, my father can afford the best. At least no one on the Gryffindor team had to buy their way in. They got in on pure talent. Draco brags about their new brooms and makes fun of Fred and George's old ones. This scene speaks a lot to me. It's a fact that wealth provides opportunity and advantage to those who have it. How can situations like this discourage those who don't have the same access? That's such a great question. I'm glad you asked that. You know, when my family and I first moved to the United States, I didn't have a lot of clothes. My family and I didn't have a lot of money, so there would be some days where I would wear the same article of clothing several days in a row and I would get made fun of for that. We know from multiple studies that individuals who are less privileged when comparing themselves to individuals who come from higher privilege are likely to create essentially self-fulfilling prophecies where they might believe that they're incapable of measuring up to their more privileged peers. And so as a result, they might struggle putting themselves out there. They might feel defeated without even trying. And if we're comparing Nimbus 2001s, for example, and older brooms, it's not a fair comparison. I would think that all team players would be required to have the same kind of broom wouldn't they? Because otherwise... I mean, it would make it even. Of course. It seems like it's an advantage to have a faster broom. It is. And to have one team whose players all have faster brooms and another team with much slower brooms who cannot afford faster brooms clearly puts one team at a much higher advantage. And I would like to think that at least in some professional sports that this kind of an advantage would not be allowed. I would think that it's no more different than some kind of an unfairly weighted racket in tennis. Or a bat, baseball or something. Who knows? Right. Just some kind of advantage. Yeah, I totally see that. So Draco goes on to insult Hermione for being muggle-born and calls her a mudblood. No one asked your opinion, you filthy little mudblood. This is a horrible name to call someone in the magical world. This understandably hurts Hermione's feelings. What are your thoughts about this scene? I think that this term, uh, mudblood, I, I hate this term. I think it's a racial slur, right? You call me a mudblood. He did not. What's a mudblood? It means dirty blood. Mudblood's a really foul name for someone who is muggle-born, someone with non-magic parents, someone like me. It's not a term one usually hears in civilized conversation. In the series, it represents someone who's born to non-magical parents, and it's meant to be the harshest, most awful insult that you can call anybody. And it's a discrimination and bullying of someone who is born different, who comes from a different culture, different heritage. And so we're seeing examples here not only of classism, but also of racism. Mm -hmm. Very much so. After Draco insults Hermione, Ron comes to her defense. Unfortunately, his wand is broken and the curse reflects back onto himself. He immediately starts belching up slugs and essentially is a victim of his own chivalry. She'll pay for that one, Malfoy. Eat slugs! <laughs> you okay, Ron? Say something! 
What do you think about situations like this where someone sticks up for someone but in the end hurts themselves? I think that's really unfortunate. You know, I think that sometimes people fear exactly that outcome in that they believe that if they stand up for uh, someone who is a target of bullying that they will get attacked too or that the attack will rebound on them and that somehow they will end up looking foolish or silly. And in Ron's case, that is exactly what happens. But as a reader, we're able to see that even with that outcome, it was really important for Ron to do exactly what he did. It was important for him to stand up for his friend. And I would hope that after reading this, the readers would realize that in situations like it, it's still better to stand up for someone than to be a quiet bystander. Oh, most definitely. You know, this reminds me of a quote that I saw today. And I know this is off topic because this is going to be Lord of the Rings. And it's Gandalf who's talking, but it kind of goes over what you were just saying a little bit. Saruman believes that it is only a great power that can hold evil in check. But that is not what I've found. I've found it is the small things, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keeps the darkness at bay. Simple acts of kindness and love. I love that so much. It really sounds like something Dumbledore might say as well. Yeah, no doubt. Those wizards, man, they are pretty so damn wise, wise, aren't they? So there's a cool little nod to the Fantastic Beasts series in this chapter. While Hagrid is complaining about Lockhart bragging about fighting a banshee and giving him unwanted advice the way that he does, Hagrid mentions Kelpies. The Kelpie is the green seahorse kelp creature that Newt rode through the water in Crimes of Grindelwald. It's really cool to see these ideas placed this early on, isn't it? I love seeing different kinds of Easter eggs, I guess, uh, played in this way. I wish I could ask J.K. Rowling if she had the idea for Fantastic Beasts when she wrote this, or if perhaps it was the other way around, if perhaps she went back and looked to Harry Potter series for some of the pieces of information that she can pull to then include in Fantastic Beasts. Regardless, the crossing of these series is so lovely and just really tugs at our hearts, I think. Yeah. I mean, either way, it's just cool to see it. I believe that she just mentioned it in this series and then later went back and revisited and, you know, expanded upon it. Um, But I thought it was a cool nod anyway. So while answering Gilderoy Lockhart's fan mail for detention, Harry hears evil whispers in the dark. Harry, Harry, Harry. Can you possibly imagine a better way to serve detention than by helping me to answer my fan mail? Not really. Fame is a fickle friend, Harry. Celebrity is as celebrity does. Remember that. talking about Harry? I think we're getting a bit uh, drowsy. <laughs> I'm 
Great Scott, no wonder. Look at the time. We've been here nearly four hours. Spooky how the time flies when one's having fun. <laughs> How scary is it to hear voices no one else can hear? And what are some of the psychological diagnoses associated with hearing voices? Um, that's a great question. There are actually several. So there are several different types of psychotic disorders, and that means disorders that include psychosis as one of the elements. Psychosis refers to having some kind of either hallucinations, such as seeing or hearing things that aren't there, or having delusions, which means having some kind of a conviction, a belief that might not fully represent reality. And some disorders that include certain hallucinations might include schizophrenia, which is kind of the stereotypical epitome of disorders that include psychosis. Those are the most common disorders. But then also a disorder called schizoaffective disorder. So that's a disorder that includes psychosis as well as a mood disorder, such as anxiety or depression, for example. However, there are other disorders out there that also might sometimes include different kinds of perception. For example, for some individuals, having a panic attack or going through some kind of a dissociative episode as some people do when they're going through severe depression or severe traumatic experience can also lead to kind of almost like a break with reality can lead to an experience where they might believe they're hearing a voice or their perception might be slightly distorted. Of course, individuals who might have struggled with addiction or substance abuse might sometimes experience these types of hallucinations as well. I do want to point out that there is a difference between hallucinations and illusions. So sometimes we might think that we heard something, but it might just be either our imagination or the wind or, or something like it, or we might think we see something out of the corner of our eye, but that's different from hallucination, which actually targets our sensors and appears very real to the observer, but is not seen by others. That's very interesting. I oftentimes find myself alone and talking to myself and responding to myself <laughs> what is that <laughs> that's perfectly fine you know i think a, a lot of us talk to ourselves myself and i you know we have conversations all the time and both of you are always welcome to join us <laughs> <laughs> i think it's wonderful that we can actually have conversations in our head but talking about hearing voices i hear the call right now to end this episode of harry potter therapy again my name is dustin you can find me on twitter at the valiant geek and I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. So this is your chance to win a free signed copy of Harry Potter Therapy. If you're interested, we'd really love to hear from you. Please rate, review, and comment about our podcast through your provider or contact us through our website, which is www.superhero-therapy.com for your chance to win. Thank you so much. Take care and stay magical out there, everybody. <laughs>